I think it's the best experience I will have in high school because it's kind of learning how to like take responsibility. I think everyone on the team learns how to be responsible, how to actually work together rather than class like projects in a group. It's learning how to think fast, think on your feet and how to like function in the professional world. I think that was the best lesson I learned from this. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to um, the next episode of Learning Unboxed. We're very excited um, about our guest today and our topic. We're going to talk about uh, robotics, um, and specifically we're going to talk about uh, robotics experiences in K-12 and how those experiences can be very meaningful as it relates to helping people make decisions, um, experience the world, explore career. My guests today um, are Angela Hatman, who is a fabulous science teacher at Upper Arlington um, High School, um, and more importantly, for the purposes of this conversation, is the fearless, passionate, and compassionate teacher um, who was willing to say, sure, I'll volunteer and um, be the coach and help uh, students start a robotics team at a local high school. Joining Angela is Audrey Strickling, um, who is a wonderful high school student at the same high school at UA uh, High School, uh, Upper Arlington uh, in Ohio, and um, was the founder, if you will, of the BearBots, um, the high school FRC robotics team. So thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Okay, so for our listeners, we've talked before about um, robotics. Um, in particular, we've um, had conversations really sort of about the first robotics program and a lot of the things um, that it's done at sort of global reach. Uh, so we've, we've got some context for the broader program implications. What I'd really love to talk about today is the actual application of what it means to not just to start a team, but more importantly about why, um, what happens with these types of programs and its sort of influence and impact, um, in the K-12 system, specifically, you know, what's going on in the high school. So Angela, I'd like to start with you. Um, you know, teachers' lives are busy. Teachers' lives are very, very full. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a profession where folks, you, you, you shouldn't go into it lightly. Most folks don't. Um, you give a lot of your heart and your soul to what it is that you do. So taking on something like this was a big lift. And I remember the first time that I met you, actually, it was at a uh, first Lego League uh, tournament. It was your first experience, as I recall, in the world of robotics at all. And um, if anybody has seen or, or heard or been part of one of those uh, elementary, middle school Lego robotics tournaments, it's utter chaos. It's awesome, but it's utter chaos. And and you left that and you still did this. So um, what were you thinking? 
It was extremely exciting. I think for me, it was a, a professional growth phase that I was excited to um, experience. I have taught life sciences my entire career. And so jumping into something that was just a different branch of science was exciting to me. Um, and being surrounded by great students who were enthusiastic about the program made it even more uh, welcoming. So, so it was a big leap, but but um, willingly, clearly. <laughs> so, so Audrey, um, same question back to you. It's a big deal to start something new at a school, and interestingly enough, um, at UA there had there had been queries off and on over the years around robotics. Um, and there was a a teacher that had done some classes in utilizing robotics um, in pieces, but that's different than taking on and starting an entire FRC team. So. For you, what was the motivation um, in this space? Well, I had no idea how much work it would actually be. (laughs) But my motivation was to create a robotics program different than the one that they offered at the high school with kind of a broader reach. The old program was a local Ohio team, like a local Ohio competition. And I talked to the Metro kids when I was a camp counselor. And I heard how they competed internationally, Mm -hmm. how competitive it was, and just like how widespread it was and how the overall goal wasn't just to build robots. It was running a business. It was outreach and working with kids. And I think that's really what was. I was like, wow, I want this at our school. And so how, Angela, how has this been just generally sort of received at the uh, at the teacher and sort of staff level um, before you even get to, because the kids love it, um, and never been around robotics where, you know, the kids weren't immersed up to their eyeballs, but not, not necessarily so. What has been the internal school culture impact, I guess, if you will, of having this team be there? And it's a very visible team, you know, mm-hmm. more credit um, to, to you guys guys, and certainly to the team itself, <laughs> to taking on that ethos of I have to market this team for it to be successful. So how, how does that dynamic play out in a fairly traditional um, high school setting? Uh, it's been widely accepted by our administration at our high school. They have been very welcoming of any ideas or concepts that we've created and have just kind of let us take the reins and run with our program. Even at the district level, our central office mm-hmm. is extremely supportive. When we had a push to raise money to go to Worlds last year in uh, Detroit, Michigan, we, you know, they were fully supportive and even closed the gap um, for our finances so that we could make it to uh, Detroit. So it's been widely accepted. You have other teachers volunteering yet to say, yeah. hey, can I help you? <laughs> uh, a few. We've been very, very lucky to have uh, the other robotics teacher involved in our program mm-hmm. to help us out with the engineering side of it. I mainly focus on the administrative and advertising and marketing and and um, just leadership side of our program. But he has been a great resource for us. And then we also have two new volunteers who are going to work with our team this year that we've recruited, mm-hmm. um, one with programming and the other just kind of an overall team mentor for us. And mentorship is everything um, oh, in these is. types of <laughs> Programming. Yeah. So, uh, so Audrey, as you think about launching this team and having been around uh, students or had been participating um, for a number of years in, in established teams, did you have a sense 
not just of, of how much work it was going to be, but really sort of where the biggest obstacles were going to be. So, you know, if you step back and think about it, I only, if I had known X, right, um, as you were going down that path, um, what were some of the things that were big surprises to you? Oh, there were a lot of surprises when starting <laughs> the team. I think the biggest surprise was taking on, like, the leadership position. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have a lot of experience, and taking it on was a lot more work than I thought. And kind of like the culture of being a new sophomore who still didn't really know anything about robotics and kind of figuring out that, like, the older kids who had years of experience with other robotics wouldn't be as accepting to that. And I think that was a big obstacle, as well as the fundraising aspect of first. (laughs) Um, I got to say, that was a very big surprise. But... I feel like our team worked together really well, and me and Ms. Hatman worked together really well to be able to, like, fundraise for the team. I just was not very clear on the financial implications of the program. Well, so share that with with our listeners. A lot of the folks that will be listening to this might be contemplating running down this road. There's there's a ton of global push around robotics and um, manufacturing um, and coding uh, components. Robotics is a great way to, to wrap a lot of these uh, concepts together into something very applied and tangible. But, you know, the folks are folks are thinking about doing this. You know, what's what's the you know, Angela, what, what, what's, the, what's the push there as it relates to, you know, having folks leap all in or not? I think the difficulty with our situation was we were laying the foundation in Upper Arlington for this. This was right. something new that our school district had, they had tried to venture into it before, but we were really pushing to make it happen this time. And so we were laying the groundwork and the foundation um, with our school district, but the the neat thing is this this is this program is worldwide right and so that foundation is already set and so the businesses the the organizations that are already out there to support your team if you are looking to venture down this this path it they're already out there and they're in place and there are local businesses there are national businesses that want to support the teams that are just starting you know there are grants out there that are specifically for rookie teams mm-hmm. to help you get off you know, to help you um, get off your feet and and to make sure that you have a program for the first few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the Bear Bots was one of the recipients of a STEM equity um, grant with with Corey and Pass, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that gave you um, some of the startup components that you needed, but hopefully. The, the real um, contribution in there is the access to the support network and, mm-hmm. you know, the established teams, um, you know, through Corey and whatnot. So what would your response, um, Audrey, be to, you know, a teacher or a student in a community saying, do I really want to do this? It's 100 percent. Yes, you have to do it. I think <laughs> it's the best experience I will have in high school because it's kind of learning how to like take responsibility. I think everyone on the team learns how to be responsible, how to actually work together rather than class like projects in a group. It's learning how to think fast, think on your feet, and how to like function in the professional world. I think that was the best lesson I learned from this. That's amazing and, and remarkable. And and there's been great growth. So last year you were a rookie team. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and how many participants? How many students? 21. 21. <laughs> so this year, a few weeks ago, actually, um, I stumbled into your opening conversation <laughs> with your team, and I was blown away. Um, you know, out of full transparency to our, our listeners, uh, the Bear Bots um, um, field and practice at the Innovation Lab is one of the one of the the, the teams um, on site, so we get to see you guys um, frequently. But I was shocked by how many students were there. There were about sixty seven students who signed up to be on the team this year. So three times. Yeah, that's awesome, mm, yeah. ladies. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. How are you going to manage that, Audrey? We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of different like leadership styles that we're using this year. We have different leaders of each subgroups. And mm-hmm. Subgroups are like programming, and like the actual parts of the robot are all split up in a subgroup. So we have leaders for each of those, and then like a committee system to make decisions that affect the whole team. And I think that'll be really helpful this year. And it's going to be a lot of delegating tasks. And it's going to be a lot of instruction, but with letting them figure out and like um, more emphasis on how they learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm excited for this year. With so many people, there's a lot more room for them to learn than just to rush through and build a robot. It's not about the robot after all, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Angela, how does how does um this experience or being part of this team, how, how does that translate into what you do day-to-day in your own classrooms? Are you, are you seeing the connections in a different sort of way? Absolutely. Uh, there are a few situations where I feel like this work is more important almost than what I'm doing in the classroom just because of the opportunities and the tools and the resources and the networking mm-hmm. that you're exposed to um, just within working at the, uh, the past foundation mm-hmm. with Corey. In the classroom, I almost feel like there are four walls surrounding you and you feel boxed in mm-hmm. because you just have to start venturing out and making those connections and almost simulating the um, situations that students have at the past foundation within your classroom. And it's just, it's it's something that's very difficult to recreate mm-hmm. in the classroom. Um, but you do have to take parts and pieces of the experiences that they get with FIRST mm-hmm. Robotics and, and uh, implement those in the classroom. And so what does that look like for you? So you're life science uh, teacher. So, right. so do, can you give us a couple of small examples of, of how you, maybe you changed something that you did or the way that you think about right. Or the presentation back to the students. What does that look and feel like? Because this is a transitional moment. And right. I read, you and I have not had that conversation, but in past work um, across the, the country over almost 20 years now, we've seen people in this exact moment that you're, you're now in as a teacher and as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of exploratory learning, uh, not necessarily giving them the procedures mm-hmm. to go all the way through the labs that I, you know, have implemented in my classroom. There's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. It's it's neat to see the students struggle and grapple with the content. And I think that's the thing that I've pulled into my classroom. Perfect. Is to create more of that um, exploratory learning situations where they really feel like they're getting it mm-hmm. and the content um, is applicable to, to the activities that you create in your classroom. And so um, just with labs and experiences like that. That's, that's wonderful. And mm-hmm. again, that, that echoes that sort of thing that, that, that we hear, um, that, that, that that other piece of that experience influences so much about the way you then do your own practice. And mm-hmm. so that's a, a 
It's a lovely side benefit, uh, no <laughs> doubt. Um, so, Audrey, I ask the same question to you because in the same way that we historically have watched teachers make these kinds of shifts from these experiences, we've also noticed that not only does it impact individual students, but the way you think about learning and the way you think about the teaching and the learning as it relates to your journey right now in high school and translates post-secondary. So what of this experience, how does that play out for you when you go to traditional classes or when you go to really not traditional classes? How how does this play into your sort of day-to-day thinking about your high school experience? I think it really translates to the way I work with other people and kind of like the openness and like the communication skills that I've gained through first, because there is a lot of communication (laughs) that has to happen during those six weeks in order to be successful. I think it really comes over in the classrooms when I'm working on a group project or when I'm working with a teacher, I'm learning the communication skills, I'm kind of learning and even like career paths, I'm learning more career paths through first and kind of exploring what I want to do. And so what, what, how do you sort of think about that? I mean, does, does it translate? And maybe the answer is that it doesn't, but I'm really curious. I'm the language arts teacher in a traditional high school setting teaching, you know, English 11, right? And so I've got something, all these students that participate in this crazy thing. I may or may not be overly invested in this robotics club sitting in my class. And how does, how does what happens to you when you're in that fully immersed applied environment where you are the problem solver translate into, you know, you know, interpreting or understanding Shakespeare or whatever it is that you have to be. How, how do you, how does that experience cross over or does it as a student? <laughs> I think it's hard to go from a very proactive learning environment like first to a very rigid learning environment like a classroom. And I think that's a hard transition to make in like the way you think and the way you like go about problem solving, but I think the problem solving skills are there and they Mm -hmm. kind of help me go through classes a lot easier because I have those. But I would say the transition over to very like exciting learning environment to more of a class, traditional classroom is a a big transition because I'm thinking about, oh, what can I do with first robotics when Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in language arts? (laughs) Well, but hopefully, right? (laughs) That that, that it it starts to become this sort of um, groundswell sort of movement. And we see lots of communities do that. It's a journey, right, to transition from a very traditional environment to to a more implied environment. But we we do see that there's that there's that groundswell from the participant side that is meaningful. We're in a really unique spot too at our in our district. Exactly. They've incorporated a robotics class. And so they've seen the value of our program and and the learning that's taking mm-hmm. place and they've embraced it and even created a class for our students to foster, to continuously foster that environment. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> that's that's pretty that's a huge win. Yeah. Even in our you know, we're building the new building right. and you know, that'll be finished in three and a half years to four years and, and they're asking us what resources and materials does first uh, robotics and even those the robotics class Mm -hmm. what uh, materials they would need in that building Mm -hmm. so extreme amount of support and uh, it's just we're in a really great spot right now to grow our program and to create these great learning situations so you're you're currently sitting right in the midst of a culture (laughs) shift happening in your school (laughs) and in your community and that's it's pretty awing Mm -hmm. 
right? And that you get to not just be there, but to recognize that it's happening. But three and a half years, that new fancy building's not going to, you're going to be long gone on (laughs) off into the world. Um, But you have the opportunity um, as you move through. um, One of the things that we consistently um, heard in these collective um, conversations on Learning Unboxed is about mentorship. And you both mentioned that um, earlier today as well, that um, one of the keys to the success both of the program and of the individual students is tied to this notion of mentorship. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit because if you're on the other side of this equation, what we often hear um, from mentors, especially mentors coming out of business and industry in these programs are constantly looking into uh, our industry partners to try to pull folks in to be mentors. They struggle with that. You know, we've got an adult population that may or may not be very good at that sort of teaching interface, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not as easy as, as everybody seems to think, or as soon as you, you get in with regards to students, you realize how difficult sometimes that can be. So let's talk about the mentorship piece a little bit. So as a student, Audrey, what do you, what do you need more than anything else from the folks that are coming in to, uh, to mentor you? I think... That's a broad question. It is. <laughs> That's true. Um, so for, for the folks who are coming in for robotics, when you ask a mentor in particular, you said you have two new ones coming in, one in programming and one in general. So in programming, what, what was it that you need from those folks outside of their their uh, contextual expertise? They've got to bring something else to the equation or it doesn't work. I think listening to what the students have to say is very important. I think some mentors come in with the mindset that they are already in the professional world Mm -hmm. and they know what they're doing, but there's a thousand ways to solve one problem. And I think like letting, giving the students like their room to figure it out for themselves and like really only helping them like guide through it, not giving them a path for themselves. I think that's the super important part of mentorship that I think some adults kind of don't recognize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you actually have a lot of ideas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about for you, Angela? What What is that conversation um, with these folks as they're coming in? And you know your kids, right? At mm-hmm. the end of the day, um, these are your kids, mm-hmm. um, very personally and selfishly, <laughs> right? But, they, but, but that's a big deal. You bring other adults into this equation and you ask these folks on the outside, teach with me. Right. Um, you know, I was reading an article the other day and it was talking about for high school students how mentorship and interning and um, opportunities to shadow are some of the best ways for high school age students to learn. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really strongly believe in that. And so these connections that we have and mentorship that we have with the great people, um, mentors at the Pass Foundation or even OSU or even people that we have pulled in from Batal in our community. Mm -hmm. I think one of the the conversations that I have with them at the beginning is just to bring their expertise to the table but also allow the kids to experiment and to try to find solutions for problems um, that are based on our goals as a team Mm -hmm. um, and to kind of just merge themselves within our program and just and and be open. Uh, it's it's almost the wild west for six weeks when we go through this program. And so it's it's just wonderful if you kind of relinquish some of that control um in your and and let go that you know you know that you have your expertise and just kind of 
see where you can guide and lead these children, you know, these students in, mm-hmm. in just amazing directions because they have so many amazing questions do. And, and great ideas. And so just seeing them kind of put that into play and, and maybe try and fail on a few things. And then you come in and, and give them a little direction, I think is some of the most beautiful work I've ever seen. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just excited. We've got really great people coming in to help our team this year. And I think they're all on pay, on step with mm-hmm. with that kind of mentality. So it's just it's just a really great learning experience. I'm just over yeah. I'm just <laughs> impressed with this entire program. Yeah. It it'll be it will be, and it will grow in its amazingness, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, again, having been part of observing um and interacting with first for me, it's been about probably about 15 years um now of sort of watching um through this program and one of the other things that I have found that's quite remarkable that will be fun to watch with your team is that, you know, not only do you, you get these mentors to come in, but suddenly it becomes a different sort of role for those mentors companies directly or indirectly to play in school, right? Because we, we, we have tons of, of global conversations about the role of business and industry in education. Right? And we should be having those conversations. And but one of the things that we find is active participants and mentors through these types of applied learning programs often translate into excitement to be part of that system back at that home company. Mm-hmm. So that will be an intriguing thing to watch as you guys go through. Yeah. One of our mentors who's joined our team this year is excited, but his son is in our school district, but uh-huh. he's in the elementary age right now. And so he's excited to see this program go grow for the future of his own child. Yeah. And so it's there's a lot of resources in our community and they want to see our program be successful. Oh, I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, um, 100%. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of my work um, over the, the years has been selfishly about my child's going to be mm-hmm. in this thing, right? And so um, so my son, uh, a freshman this year, finally getting to join an FRC team. So I totally understand that. So very, very mm-hmm. selfishly. So let's talk about one of the other components of these types of programs that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the parents. Mm -hmm. And parents in sports or activities are often a point of intriguing conversation, right? So um, so what, what has your experience been? I mean, it's new for you, but I will say... Also coming from that same community of Upper Arlington, the Upper Arlington parents can be a force. Mm-hmm. So how do you, and again, you know, sort of from the lens of other communities thinking about doing this, how do you, how do you set expectations and so that you can manage the influence of a strong parent base in, as it relates to programs? So either one of you who wants to take that one on. <laughs> I have two schools of thought on this. Okay. I mean, coming from my background in sports, uh, a lot of parents are extremely exposed to the sports mentality and, and rules and regulations to mm-hmm. games. But when it comes to first robotics, there's a lot of unknown out there oh, yeah. with parents. And and so I think a, a lot of what you see is just enthusiasm mm-hmm. and and great um, positive reactions to what we're trying to do. And it's very new to them. Right. But when I think is is a leadership role is the the role I have in being the uh, lead coach or mentor for this team, managing parents 
you have to learn how to create that positive environment and make sure that parents, even if it is a, a criticism, that it's constructive and, right. and integrating that change and, and letting them know that you really hear their voice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whether it's from the student side of it or the parent side of it, it's just giving them a voice to feel like you're really trying to correct the program and and mm-hmm. and fix and lead in a right in a in a great direction. And so, um, we really haven't had many negative experiences with this. I think it's just because it is, it's it's unknown to a lot mm-hmm. of parents. Um, but, you know, we, and the parents that do know about the program want to jump in and help us. And even other expertise, like they may not know what their child is doing in robotics, but they have community and network connections and mm-hmm. they want to find resources to support our team, whether it is fiscally or um, finding lunches for us. <laughs> So the support's been really great. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a different world than coaching athletics. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the big difference that I've seen is just the difference in knowledge and exposure um, to what their kid is actually involved in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Audrey, same same experience? Yeah. So do you think, though, that um, as... um, I mean, again, and I've watched it for years, but now I'm wearing a different hat. I'm wearing a parent hat, Mm -hmm. not just a sponsor because I've been a sponsor. I've been an advocate. I've Mm -hmm. been a mentor. I mean, I've I've gone through so many different roles in that program, but it's very, very different, I have to admit, putting the parent hat on. And I suddenly Mm -hmm. find myself sitting in the parent meeting for my son's team and realizing I have a whole different set of questions. You know, there's it. It's still an enigma for me, even after all these years. Because to your point, the the rules and the understanding of the game are fairly complex, in part mm-hmm. because of the way the program <laughs> is structured, right? Because it changes somewhat year after year. So, um, t- with that in mind, um, your season is about to launch, and when we say launch, we really mean launch. It launches globally at the same time um, around the world. Um, so um, Saturday, um, so two days out from now, you guys have your season launch, and off you run, and you've got six frantic weeks, mm-hmm. right? Six frantic weeks. So, how do you how do you think about structuring the six frantic weeks? To, to meet your team goal at the end of that six-week moment before you even go to your first competition. So, so Audrey, what was your thinking around prepping for that? Design, 100%. It was design and thinking through, like, our ideas before we implement them. I think our team, our committee of, like, decision-makers made a very good, like, had a very good discussion about what we wanted out of the six weeks Mm -hmm. and it was design it was testing and it wasn't it was reserving time for the building and getting ahead of everything by really thinking through every step of the way right and each each year the game part of first is different right Mm -hmm. so and you don't really know what it's going to be until they released it and launched it to everybody (laughs) so it sounds like your early prep pieces is accounting for a lot of what could be viewed as consistencies Mm -hmm. right in preparation so um how how do you transition now that you went from a small team to this really large team in thinking about that sort of success component and and where is that interface? So do you guys sit down and think about that together? What does that look like? 
We do. We have our committee team, uh, our leaders from each of those five groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sat, actually sat down a few weeks ago and created a schedule for the first week. And my biggest push was when we divide into groups, what do you want those groups to look like? Mm-hmm. How, what's going to be the best situation for us to maximize productivity? And so I think we all kind of learn that there is this underlying pressure to make sure that we're really thinking about how we want to break down our groups, what we want to accomplish on a daily basis. And so, you know, last year we kind of just jumped into it. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know what we were getting into. But now that we've had that experience from last year, you know, we're going to keep working on um, thinking through those steps that we want to take to make sure that, you know, we're not just throwing 10 people in a group, what what people would be best in those groups and and to really think about what we want out of, you know, our, our our team meetings mm-hmm. and making mm-hmm. sure that they're goal oriented and specific. And so we've just tried to organize a lot better this year, a lot of Google docs yeah. <laughs> to try to streamline ideas and, and make sure everybody feels like they are contributing. But you're ready. Yeah. We're we ready. ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, For the first week, at least. <laughs> For the first week. Yeah. yeah. So um, any big fears? No, I'm actually very confident in the capabilities of our team this year. I think we have a lot more people, but we have really strong leaders for every subgroup. And the only thing I'm worried about is someone feeling like they don't have a voice, but I feel like we have a very strong system set in place for that. And I just really want to make sure everyone is learning as much as they can this year and getting exposed to it. I think it's going to be a little chaotic with that many people, but I don't have a lot of big fears because I'm very confident in it everyone being able to like step in and take responsibility well i have to mm-hmm. say that it will be chaotic yeah. but um but i'm kind of looking forward to the chaos i mm-hmm. actually have to admit i love build season at the innovation lab because it's insane mm-hmm. i mean it really is i mean you know there there are three in-house teams on ongoing and regular basis and then other teams that kind of come and go as you well know um, there are a lot of you milling yeah. around, running around, solving <laughs> problems, you know, having these gang conversations and shifting off to something else. And it's it's joyful. Uh, it's even joyful when, you know, I have to, you know, call a teacher on site and say, it's 1 a.m. You need to go home. <laughs> I didn't call you with that message, but, um, you know, the security cameras ping me and I'm like, OK, we've well, got to kick kids out of this building now. <laughs> Um, so that that's an awesome thing, and it's coming, and I'm very, very excited for it. So, you know, as we, we sort of wrap up and hope that more communities say, hey, I want to do that thing. I want to I want to do what Audrey and Angela have sort of put in place and be willing to take that risk in my time and my expertise and my experience. Um, but people also want to know if there was – one thing that you could have done differently up to this point, um, what might that, that thing be so that we can try and avoid that? I would say create a business team first. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think me and Miss Hatman were the business team until a little bit like halfway through build season. And we didn't really realize like how much of an actual business your mm-hmm, first robotics mm-hmm. team is. And that was a very shocking component that me and Miss Hatman had to face by ourselves. 
And I think creating that foundation and, like, making sure you know this is a company. This is how it should be run. And it's a startup, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's a serial startup. And that's one of the things that we haven't talked about um, even when we talked about robotics in previous um, episodes of Learning Unboxed is because the game changes slightly every year. It's a new startup every year to some extent, right? And that's mm-hmm. something to keep in mind. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I my suggestion would be to reach out to other mentors and coaches of teams and sit down and have a dinner with somebody. Well, I didn't really get that exposure until we went to the Buckeye Regional, mm-hmm. where I sat down with five or six coaches and really learned uh, how to grow their team and how to recruit and how to fundraise. And so I, there's a wealth of knowledge out there, and there are people that have strengths with fundraising, mm-hmm. and so. So find those people and and have conversations with them. I, you know, one of the things that I learned through this experience my first year was I was timid at the beginning mm-hmm. because I, again, STEM and, and reaching out into robotics was a field that was unknown to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel so strongly about fostering this opportunity for our students. And it's a humbling experience knowing that you do not know as much as the students do going into this. <laughs> but offer being able to offer them your enthusiasm mm-hmm. and your time, even if you don't know what you're really getting into, is one of the most powerful educational moments that I've had. I, this, this year definitely has changed a lot of my feelings about education and has just given, revived, like rejuvenated mm-hmm. um, my teaching experiences and has just brought life back into my career. And so if you're thinking that you don't know about robotics, jump in anyways. Mm-hmm. Jump in. It's it's an experience that you will never regret. And it's been it's been an awesome. <laughs> I think it's fun to jump into something that you know nothing about. I had no idea what the first was, but I think the jumping part is what makes it very mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> It's that risk, the thrill, right? Yeah. Well, ladies, um, it has been a true pleasure. Um, and it, it is a privilege of mine. And certainly I know I speak on behalf of the entire staff at the Innovation Lab that we love, love, love having you guys with us. And we wish <laughs> the Bear Bots nothing but great success uh, this year. So congratulations, ladies, and good luck for the season. And thank you so much for being thank part you so of this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. Education.